0: Again, I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to The Painful Truth. It's another wet, soggy morning here in Sydney as it has been seemingly forever. And it's the last day of work for me before a couple of weeks of leave. And so after this episode, you'll have to endure a painless couple of weeks. I'm sure you'll cope with that. And then after that, God willing, I'm off to the United States for a couple of weeks to do some work over there with Marty Sweeney and Uh, to catch up with some of my friends uh, at Nine Marks Ministries. And during those two weeks, I'm planning to put out a couple of kind of on-the-road painful truths as I'm traveling around, Uh, kind of like letters from America, for those of you who are old enough to remember that little radio program from years ago. But in the meantime, in this episode, we're going to pick up on a number of excellent responses and questions that came in about small group leadership in response to last week's episode. The episode about being a facilitator or being a teacher or perhaps, as I was suggesting, being a tour guide as we lead our small groups. Now, some really excellent responses and thanks so much again for continuing to get in touch and be part of this conversation. And if you haven't listened to or read last week's post about small group leadership and what I mean by being a tour guide small group leader, it probably makes sense to go and quickly read that. You can do that on the Painful Truth website. That's thepainfultruth.online or fish back through your feed of podcasts and find last week's episode. probably makes sense to get that under your belt before what follows because it otherwise won't make much sense. But let's get on to the first question that was asked by a number of different people. And in summary, it was basically this. What are the implications of this tour guide approach to small group leadership for complementarian leadership in small groups? In other words, how does this tour guide idea relate to mixed groups with male and female leaders? How do we navigate that? Well, some very big issues there, bigger than I can probably deal with adequately in this little podcast, I have to say, but I'll outline the assumptions that I operate with in relation to this question and then offer some wisdom and application and see where we go. Well, First of all, my basic assumption is a complementarian approach to teaching, that is, one which affirms both the partnership of men and women together in church and ministry life and the differences in their roles and responsibilities. In other words, there are many contexts and relationships in which men and women teach and edify and encourage each other without much distinction between the sexes. There's the instruction for the whole congregation to teach and admonish one another, in Colossians 3.16 for example. Or there's the time when both Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside and explained the word of God more accurately to him in Acts 18. And so, men and women teach, encourage, admonish, exhort, and generally speak the word to each other in a helpful way in all sorts of contexts in the Christian life at home, in the workplace, over the back fence, in church in different ways, in small groups. This is a normal part of our community Christian life together. So, let's take that as a given. But there are some contexts and relationships in which men have a particular role and responsibility to teach in a way that women don't. And I'm thinking, of course, of the situation that 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 addresses. That situation and context does exist, and we need to take account of it and respect it and embrace it. And thirdly, this authoritative teaching space, if I can put it that way, is related to responsibility. Because a group of suitably qualified men are given the responsibility to guard and oversee and pastor a congregation, then they're the ones given the responsibility of teaching that is, of guarding and explaining and expounding the whole framework of gospel doctrine in that congregation. Their particular teaching role is not arbitrary. It's a key part of how they exercise their particular pastoral responsibility. So given that very, very brief set of assumptions about what complementarian ministry is, where do small groups fit in? Well, first off, you've got to say that the nature and occasion of the small group we're talking about does make quite a difference. I imagine that we'd come up with quite different answers to this question if we were thinking about, say, an all-female small group or an all-male small group, or a temporary breakout group from, say, a larger group or gathering, or if the age of the group was quite young. Let's say they were a mixed youth group Bible study led by a pair of 16-year-olds. Or if it was a group of uni students at a conference in a small group. Or if it was the kind of regular mixed adult small group that many churches have lots of. And I guess it's really this last kind of group and the variations of it that the question is being asked about. Is the tour guide of this kind of mixed adult small group a sort of teacher and sort of pastor? Well, yes, but in a limited way, a kind of small t and small p kind of teacher and pastor. And I think that was part of the point of my article last week. The tour guide of a group aims to lead his group to the main points of a passage of the Word of God. But it's a more circuitous and less predictable kind of journey. We arrive there, God willing, and discover those truths of God's Word together. But the leader is not authoritatively teaching them or hammering them home as an elder or pastor or an overseer would when preaching or teaching the whole congregation. And this means that mixed adult small groups should still express complementarian principles, but do so in a kind of small C Way that reflects the nature and relationships of the group. The male leader of a small group should still take responsibility for what's happening in the group and for the faithfulness with which the group strives to do those things, to understand the Word of God and apply it together. But he doesn't have a level of responsibility for the life and doctrine of the people in his group. That's the same as the congregational elders and overseers and pastors. He is a tour guide leader of a discussion. He's not someone who's delivering an authoritative lesson or teaching. And as we noted last time, this still means that he needs to have a good idea of where he's going, what the destination is in the passage. But it also means that he can, and in fact he should, encourage all the members of the group, men and women, to contribute to that journey, to contribute to getting towards that destination, to ask questions, to make suggestions, to offer answers and insights. And in effect, when someone does that in a small group, they are leading the discussion in a particular direction and maybe pointing out something along the way. This is what a small group is and how a small group functions and how it's different from a preaching or teaching sermon. It's an opportunity for mutual interaction around the word that tries to get somewhere, but isn't the exercise of one person teaching a group of others. It's a joint group, mutual, one another kind of activity. And so the way that complementarian principles are expressed in that context and in that particular group will be different than in a church gathering where the pastors or elders are authoritatively teaching the whole congregation. So what does this mean in practical terms? Well, I'm a little bit loath to get too detailed because of what I've said above. It does depend quite a bit on your particular context and the relationships involved and the kind of group it is. But let's say it could look something like this in your average mixed adult small group. A little pause here. I just turned off the recording for a moment to take care of something. And now that I've turned it back on, it started raining very heavily, so apologies for any background noise in what follows. Let's start by saying that in your average small group, the male leader can and should involve other group members in leading aspects of the small group time, whether that's the prayer time or the discussion of applications or a background discussion of some Old Testament passage or nutting out a particularly difficult paragraph in its logic or offering a summary of the main points and so on because remember the small group is an opportunity for mutual learning and growth it's the scene where that happens where the one another edification takes place and can take place and so men and women doing this together with each other teaching and admonishing one another helping and encouraging each other this is the norm of small group life and so having different group members men and women taking the lead at various points in the discussion in this way is healthy it's what small groups are for if this means that on different occasions a female co-leader of the group if we want to call her that does some of the more detailed preparation and leads the group for much of their exegetical tour of this passage that doesn't mean that she has taken over final responsibility for the group and its exploration of the word the male leader of the group does remain responsible and this can be made clear in the way that things are done and how they're framed. He's the one who leads the discussion most often. He's the one who models what we're doing together as a group and even when he's making room for others to lead at different points, whether men or women, he's the one who introduces the discussion, keeps an eye on it as it proceeds, who steps in with a course correction if that's needed and who affirms where it all lands at the end. This means, of course, that the male leader of the group needs to do some preparation on the Bible passage every week, even if other people are taking more of a lead that week, so that he has a sense of where things should be heading, even if he's not the most active tour guide on this particular occasion. In other words, I don't think of it as having a male and female co-leader who kind of take it in turns to be the leader. It's the male leader who has the final responsibility, and so he has the final authority in the group. But a male leader who encourages and makes room for all the members of the group to contribute, including the women, is a good complementarian leader because complementarianism is about complementary difference. It's about our partnership as well as leadership. So I don't personally have a problem with female members of mixed small groups becoming the main active tour guide of a Bible discussion at various points, provided that it's within the framework of male leadership of that group. Now, I have good and wise friends who manage these dynamics and these relational circumstances differently from me and from the way I think about it in different contexts. And that's fine. We all make our own decisions and wisdom about trying to obey these principles, but we agree on the principle, which is to rejoice in the different ways God has made us and the different responsibilities that he assigns to us and to embrace those and practice those, and to rejoice too in the freedom and benefits of working together as men and women within that framework. Well, that's the first question that was asked in response to uh, last week's post about small group leadership, and I hope those reflections are helpful. The Another really good piece of feedback came in during a nice phone chat I was having with Andrew Hurd about various things. He'd read the article and he suggested to me that it's very good if we recognize that there are different levels of small group leadership. That we'd love every leader to be the full package, to be experienced, wise, skilled, to be a little mini pastor as it were and disciple maker in a small group. But the reality is that the number of leaders who are that experienced and have those skills is always limited in a church and certainly to begin with. And we need to make room, Andrew suggests, for some leaders to start pretty much as facilitators with lots of handholding and pre-prepared material and to accept that not everyone will rise to the very top level of what a small group leader can be. And so he's really saying we need to beware of setting the bar too high at the outset and making the perfect the enemy of the good, I suppose you'd say. Then in a follow-up email, Andrew noted that this is also related to how we think about the growth and support of small group leaders over time. He writes, I quote, This, that is starting with leaders more down the facilitator end, also builds in the ability to grow the small group network. We can bring in more leaders, and it enables a more intentional leadership pathway. This also tends to force church leaders to be more deliberate in running their small group network. They can't just appoint group leaders and step away, something I think most of our reformed churches have done. We're very often running small group ministries with no accountability, training, or pastoral support. We've got the small group leaders in place, tick box, and we let them go often for years. Close quote. These are good insights, it seems to me. If I was to put my tour guide perspective on it, I think we should appoint and train beginner tour guides and accept that they will be beginners and acknowledge they'll need a lot more help and resources at the outset. And then we need to provide ongoing training and support for leaders as they grow in their abilities, in their tour guide skills, we might say, over time. It can't be a set-and-forget kind of situation. And I think Andrew is right to say that many of our churches, even churches who pride themselves on being Bible-centred, on being Bible churches, are really weak in this area. Many small groups are underperforming and stuck, and this is directly related to a lack of ongoing training and growth and support for leaders. But given that we should think of small group leadership as a continual process of development and growth as a pathway, as it were, with lots of training and support along the way, I think the basic task of the leader does remain the same, whether it's done at a really basic beginner level or at a higher level by more experienced and skilled leaders. And the task is essentially twofold. It's a Bible-related task, that is, to read and think in advance with whatever other helps and resources are necessary so that we have an idea what the main message of a Bible passage is, and then to seek to guide and nudge the group discussion in that direction in the best way you can, given your skills and experience. Some who are beginners may have a printed map that they have to follow pretty closely to start to get near the destination, and they might not even get there. Experienced tour guide leaders will be able to freewheel it much more and get right up close and do it much more effectively, But I think the task and the goal with respect to the Bible is the same. It's to try to get as close as we can as a group to understanding what this passage is saying. So there's a Bible-related task, and then there's a people-related task. It's to pray for the people in the group, to care about them, to do whatever you can to love them. And again, some will be better at this than others, and God willing, we'll all grow in this, in the godly character of this over time. But that twofold task, the Bible-related task and the people-related task, is really what a small group leader is seeking to do at whatever level he's operating, it seems to me. Well, once again, thanks to all those who got in touch with questions and comments about small group leadership over the last week or so. I certainly really enjoyed the interaction, and I hope these extra comments in today's episode have been useful. Well, that's about it for this week. Thanks once again for being here. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.